Vegas White Sox Weekly, your two-hour all-access pass to everything White Sox. Drive in the air, deep to right, it is gone! This is a presentation of the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Welcome into White Sox Weekly. No Connor McKnight today. I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor, who's on the call along with Len Casper later today as the White Sox will conclude their three-game set with the Milwaukee Brewers today at Guaranteed Rate Field. Pre-game coverage starts at 12.30. First pitch coming your way at 1.10 today. The White Sox have lost the last couple of games. It has been an eventful week, to say the least. Been doing re- a lot of recapping, looking through exactly what the situation was, and it has been a wild one. And uh, we'll get into all of it here throughout the show for the next couple hours as you are listening to White Sox Weekly right here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. But before we get into all of that, let's bring in a member of the Chicago White Sox. He is your starting second baseman at times. He is your starting shortstop at times. He is... I'm going to call him the man of the evening on Friday night when they celebrated Elvis night, even though it was not necessarily for him. He has the name Elvis, so let's bring in Elvis Andrews right now on White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller. Elvis, thanks so much for joining us before the game today. Listen, I know it's not really for you, but I have to imagine you uh, you smile a bit when the White Sox go out in August and have Elvis night. You've now been a part of a couple of them. It's got to be pretty cool to have the name Elvis and there actually be a celebration at the ballpark. Hey, come on, man. It is for me, man. I'm the only Elvis playing right now. So hey, it, you it, know it. It is for me. <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. I actually, I was doing this show when you, when it was announced that you signed with the White Sox and you were coming back, and we, we made a whole big deal about it. We made a whole big production. We played Elvis all show long to celebrate you coming back. So uh, glad to have you back in the fold. So I was mentioning how it's been kind of a wacky and wild week. Elvis, I got to ask you, is that the craziest baseball brawl you've ever been a part of last Saturday in Cleveland? Well, I think everybody knows my answer. I think that's the second crazy one <laughs> that I've been that I've been part. Uh, Odor and Bautista being yes. the first one, but yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty crazy, man. It was pretty. It was pretty nuts out there. I, I just you. It must be you, Elvis. You must bring it out of all your teammates. <laughs> the uh, that's what. That's why everybody keeps texting me. I was like, come on, man. Why you keep doing that? I was like, I got no, that's none of my problems, man. Uh, I'm the last, I'm the lead guy to fight in the field. I'm too friendly. I'm friend with everybody. So it wasn't me for sure. You're, yeah, you're, you're the one. You're Mr. Peacemaker out there. You're the one breaking things up for sure. Elvis Andrews joining us here on White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight today. All right, Elvis. So it's been a, it's been a trying, trying season, but you guys have been playing better as of late. Do you feel like you're finally on the right path, especially this last week here um, before the last couple games? That you finally seem to get things going a little bit against the Yankees. Do you guys finally feel like you, uh, after the trade deadline, now that you know who's on this roster going forward, does it feel like you can finally focus a little bit going forward here? Yeah, I believe so. I, I believe we, we've been playing uh, you know, a better quality of baseball you know, as a group. Uh, you know, from top to bottom, you know, our pitching, our bullpen, offensively, defensively. Uh, of course, you know, when you lose big names and, and guys that, 
you know, impact a lot. You know, it will have an impact in the team. But, you know, besides that, I've been uh, clubhouse and the team, you know, as, as a whole, I think it's, it's feeling better. Everybody's, you know, is, is a lot more relaxed. Everybody's able to, to be their self. And, and I think that, you know, that's one of the reasons why, uh, you know, we'll be able to play better baseball uh, out there. Elvis Andrews joining us here on White Sox Weekly. Elvis, uh, you've been uh, going back and forth a little bit this season. I know the plan was for the most part for you to play second base while T.A. played shortstop. But obviously, T.A. dealing with some injuries throughout the season, you've stepped in at times. And, of course, you know, that's been your position for as long as you've been playing baseball for the most part, except for the last couple of years. So just uh, what's it like on a day-to-day basis moving back and forth from time to time from short to second base for you? Yeah, I mean, I feel uh, I, I've been really good with it. Uh, I knew coming here, uh, my opportunity was to play second, you know, but uh, at the same time, so I did talk to uh, Pedro a few times about me, you know, whenever team, uh, you know, is not going to play short for me to, you know, go back out there and, and, and keep playing short. So, you know, I really enjoy and, and like it, you know, when I hear that and, you know, I've been able to play a lot of shortstop uh, actually this year, and you know, for me, when I play short, it's, it's like coming back home. You know, like mm-hmm. I just my the position that I play my whole career, so you know, it's always comfortable when I'm there. At shortstop, it's just like riding a bike for you, right? You, you never forget how to do it once you've been doing it as long as you have. Yeah. Elvis Andrews joining us here on White Sox Weekly. Um, Elvis, so you currently have 99 career home runs, and obviously, anyone who's a Sox fan knows that. When you guys hit a home run this season, the home run jacket comes on. You guys bust out the hat. Is there any special celebration planned for Elvis Andrews the next time he pops a home run, which will be your 100th in your career? Uh, I hope no, man. I don't, you know, you. if people play with me long enough, they know I'm not the typical uh, fancy or, you know, I don't like those type of things. Uh you know, I just hope everybody just, you know, keep doing the jacket and the hat. And, you know, what I what I do hope is, you know, that I can hit that ball. And, you know, if you if you reach a fan to get it back, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll give him a bat or whatever, a jersey. But I would do with love to have that ball. I think that uh, I'd rather have my 100, you know, home run than my 2,000 balls. So. <laughs> really? That's interesting. I was going to ask you the, ask you about that next. Yeah, the 2,000th hit. Obviously, you did that. You achieved that earlier this season, and that was very early in the year. So, yeah, but you'd rather, if you, the next home run you hit, you'd rather have that than the 2,000th uh, hit, huh? Oh, yeah. I mean, the 2,000 hit, my mom has already the ball. Okay. The 100 homer, that's going home with me. I would not give that, that one away. That's, I feel like the 2,000 hit wasn't that hard. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> it is the 100 homer has been in my career, so for sure. Every time, every time that I see that ball after I retire, you know, I knew how hard it was and, the, you know, all the sacrifice that I put in the whole every year. So that, I feel like that one uh, means a little bit more than the hits. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Elvis Andrews joining us here on White Sox Weekly here on ESP 1000 Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight today. All right, so you mentioned Pedro Grafal there a little bit. What's it been like with him in his first year? Do you feel like he's starting to get his feet under himself as a new manager? Yeah, I feel that lately he's been able to to be himself. Uh, you know, I understand, uh, you know, I have three first-time uh, manager, and, 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 
I always, you know, I'm probably the first one to understand how hard it is. You know, I don't care how many years as a coach or how many years you've been in the league. You know, managing a team for the first time is is hard, especially with all the expectation that we had as a team coming into spring training. It, it's completely hard. I mean, it can go either way. You know, it can go like that. Or it can go, you you know, you hit the, the season right and everything is beautiful, but I mean, people had, I don't think have any idea how hard it is to, you know, to manage, uh, especially nowadays in baseball. It's, mm-hmm. it's so hard, you know. So I, I feel that now he's been able to, like, relax a little bit more uh, and be himself, uh, you know, a little bit better, too. So, I mean, that, I think that with, you know, a lot of personalities, a lot of egos, uh, you know, after the trade late line, he's been able to, you know, go to the heart of the core of this team moving forward and then being able to, you know, the, you know, the guys will open up a lot more easier than, than guys that have been playing, you know, a lot longer. So I feel that, you know, one of the reasons that, you know, I, I even, you know, joke around with him, like he's been laughing lately, you know, mm-hmm. in the game. So that's a good thing. But, uh, yeah, man, I don't, I don't think people actually understand how hard it is to manage, a, you know, a big league team. Uh, nowadays in the big leagues, it's, it's really hard. And, you know, I'm very glad that he's enjoying it. And I feel that, you know, it's now, you know, now these days he he's can understand a little bit more of the game, his mm-hmm. role. So, you know, I think he's been doing an amazing job. So what about for you, Elvis, after the uh, playing career is over, then you say it's such a tough job. Is that uh, anything you have interest in potentially managing down the road? Or are you done once the playing career is over? Oh, no, I'll be done. I think the only <laughs> the only time I would love to manage or, like, coach is for my son. Yes. If Elvis and Michael wants to play, I'll be the first one, you know, you know, throughout middle school, high school, and college. I do would love to not manage them. I don't think I I can manage. I I, I think I'll be a really the you know the cool coach yes <laughs> type of thing because I, I I have too much fun with the game. So you know I feel as a manager you need to be you know a little bit more serious time to time, and it's really hard for me to be serious. I'm always joking around and enjoying. So I think that I'll be the the, the cool coach. You know that every player likes better than, than than a manager, but I don't I don't know, man. It's it's hard for me to say yes or no because I do love this game, but uh, you know the plan is not to coach or or be in, you know in the field. I, I think that my wife deserves myself a little bit more at home. Sure. <laughs> my family does also, but yeah. You know, it's hard. You know, I still, I don't, I don't, I haven't thought about retiring yet. So it's very hard for me to say sure. uh, or think what I'm gonna do when I retire. No, I get it. And baseball season, it's a long season. So the last thing you want to do after you've played as long as you have is commit to something like managing afterwards. Yeah. I, I totally get it. All right, last thing, I'm gonna let you go here, Elvis. But I wanted to ask you. Obviously, now you've uh, been a part of it for a little bit here. The city rivalry. You guys go to Wrigley to play the Cubs <clears throat> on Tuesday. Uh, what's the rivalry like from your perspective inside the city? Oh, it seems amazing. I mean, I I wasn't able to play when they came here. I hear a lot, you know, and like I've been part of a few rivalries, you know, when I was with the Rangers, yep. we have it with Houston and in Oakland, they have it with San Francisco. So coming here, you know, I was really uh, pumped up because I hear so many great things about 
you know, the Cubs and, and the White Sox, and, and that didn't let me down. Even that I didn't play in that mm-hmm. series, I was really amazed because I feel like for me, you know, playing this game this long, those games means a lot, you know, a lot more than the regular games. So, uh, you know, I, I hope I'm playing uh, the next, you know, those two days out there, but I love it, man. It's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, you can see the competition raise because, you know, we're in the same city. So, I mean, they, they got us when they came here. So, hopefully, you know, we can pay back yes. uh, and got them down there at the Wrigley. I hear you. I hear you. Go get them on uh, Tuesday and make sure you're feeling good for that uh, Tuesday-Wednesday set. We'll be rooting for you. Elvis, thanks a lot for joining us on White Sox Weekly. I appreciate it, man. No, thank you, guys. Have a good day. That is Elvis Andrews, your starting second baseman for the White Sox here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller. Hey, Sox fans, mark your cal- calendars for Fitted in Black, how hip-hop fueled the greatest rebrand in sports, presented by New Era. Exclusive interviews from Frank Thomas and Ice Cube tell the story of how the iconic White Sox ball cap intertwined with hip-hop culture. Watch the trailer at whitesox.com slash fitted in black. All right, up next, we're going to talk with a Good Karma Brands teammate, Dominic Catronio, who does work with the Brewers pre- and post-game coverage on your Brewers game day. He's going to join us, and uh, we're going to take a look at the White Sox opponent, the Milwaukee Brewers, a little bit. We'll do that next right here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Instagram at ESPN underscore Chicago. White Sox fans, head to the ballpark on Thursday, August 24th for Police and Fire Night. Join us in honoring our first responders who help keep our community safe. The first 2,000 ticket purchases will receive a special edition police and fire hat to purchase your specially priced ticket. Visit whitesox.com slash PDFD. All right, uh, our opportunity now to bring in Dominic Catronio Dom from... Good Karma Brands, who does work for the Brewers broadcast on game day. Dom joins me here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller, in for Connor McKnight today. Dom, thanks so much for uh, giving me a few minutes before today's game. You have to be in a better mood after the uh, Brewers' last couple of wins the last two nights. Well, it just helps that yesterday's was two and a half hours as opposed to the first game we had on Friday night. We were three-hour, 20-minute extra inning affair, and I think the Brewers are certainly thrilled the fact that they finally didn't play an extra inning game. It had been four of their last six games going uh-huh. into last week. Dom spoken like a true broadcast professional. Good, <laughs> good results and in, uh, in a nice tidy two and a half. We all love that. All right, so the uh, Brewers, obviously they were struggling with Jesse Schultons early in the game. Obviously, once they got to the uh, third time through the order, that's, uh, I think that's kind of what the White Sox are recognizing right now is, uh, you know, this is what this time is for for them, is trying to find out what some of their younger players are capable of moving forward. Um, but the Brewers got uh, a big seventh inning, three runs in the seventh that they needed. And, you know, they're in the thick of it with the uh, Cubs playing good baseball right now on their tail. It's great. I, I think the seventh inning is a microcosm of exactly how the season's really gone all year long for the Brewers. And you look at the manager they have in their clubhouse and Craig Council, and he knows how to manage games. He's been doing it for a long time. I believe he has the third most wins in baseball since he got the job, only trailing uh, the Rays and the Dodgers in that time. So he knows what he's doing, and he's won a lot of games with how he's been able to manage. And I'm not going to come out here and say yesterday's loss was on Pedro Griffol, but Griffol is learning how to manage in high-leverage games like that. And in my opinion, that seventh inning, as soon as a leadoff walk happened for the second consecutive inning, 
you had to have somebody ready to come in there. And, and it was clear that Schultz wasn't as sharp. They're hanging. The curveball started to hang. The slider started to hang because those first six innings, he looked as sharp as ever. I was giving him kudos on my post game show yesterday. Brewers fans know the difference between getting beat and you know having a bad day at the plate. And I thought they were getting beat in the first six innings. The slider looked fantastic, and uh, the Brewers had no answer. He was getting right underneath Lefty's hands with that. It was a really, really effective pitch, but he quickly lost effectiveness that third time through in the seventh inning. And you know. 2 nothing game, the margin is so small, and we saw how quickly it disappeared. In my opinion, I would have had somebody ready a little bit quicker because Schulten was not the reason they lost that game. I thought they should have had somebody ready to go, especially at the spot of the order that they were in for the third time through. Dom Catronio joining us here on White Sox Weekly, giving us some insight on the White Sox opponent, the Milwaukee Brewers. He, he does postgame coverage for them on the Brewers affiliate. All right, Dom, so uh, you mentioned uh, how Craig Council is one of the better managers in baseball, and I would agree, in particular, when you look at the success the Brewers have had in one-run games this season, I think that goes to show you, you know, it's all you need to know when you bring that up about how good Council is, their record in one-run games, especially when you consider that, you know, it was just uh, a year ago that they were moving Josh Hader at the trade deadline. Yeah, that, that move has certainly uh, lived in uh, infamy, I guess, in the last year up in Milwaukee. But when it comes to council, and, and you look at the two teams that have the best records with one-run games, it's the Brewers and the Marlins. The Marlins have two more wins. They're 26-10 and 10 in one-run games. The Brewers are now 24-10 and 10 in one-run games. What do those two teams have in common? They pitch it, and they have great defense. And when I look at with the Brewers, the reason why they've won so many one-run games, they have a top-three defense in all of baseball, they have a top three pitch framer behind the plate in William Contreras. They have a fantastic pitching staff and fantastic bullpen, as we know. All they're really asking for is a lead. All they're asking for is four runs. And they're going to win more games than often than not when you have the pitching staff that they have. And it's just kind of, I think, fans around the National League are aware of, like, really? They, they got another one where you look back at 2018 when Hader was first coming onto the scene and he was kind of second fiddle to the Jeremy Jeffersons of the world. And then you fast forward and Hayter takes the limelight and here comes Devin Williams. Now Devin Williams is in the limelight and here comes Abner Uribe and Yoel Pyops. They have a system of these high leverage levers that helps them be successful in all these one-run games. Tom, you mentioned the, you know, just get the, the team four runs and they feel like they're in good position to win that ball game. The key to the offense, at least when you look at it from a, you know, a neutral observer, is it seems like your leadoff man, Christian Yelich, has got, he's not back to the MVP caliber days back in 2018-2019, but, man, he's definitely been much better than he was the last couple of seasons. What's been the difference for him this year? Yeah, you know, he's been Miami Yelich again. You know, the guy that they originally traded for back in the uh, offseason of 2017-2018, and meaning he's spraying it all over the place. He's hitting the ball hard no matter what. He's also giving you great speed. I'm still convinced he's the fastest base runner on this team right now since Garrett Mitchell was injured. But Yelich, it's not like he's done a lot of new. A lot of folks are enamored with the toe-tap switch that he did with his stance and the way that he's attacking pitches these days. But what I, what I see with him is confidence and health. You know, I, I think it's a traumatic knee injury that he went through in 2019, and that's not easy to come back from as quickly as he did. In 2020, everybody really gets a pass, but then in 2021, he was dealing with back issues. He didn't quite trust the knee yet. 2022, it kind of flared on and off. But then in the second half of last season, he really started to play a lot better. But the underlying stuff, right, the 
the hard hit rates and the barrel rates and the the average exit velocity was still there. So the Brewers knew they still had a healthy player underneath all of that. And Yelich has still put it all together this season, spraying it all over the field. The majority of his home runs have been to the opposite field, letting the ball travel. He doesn't let a fastball get by him, and he's been uh, a lot of fun to watch at the top of this order. So last night we saw Brandon Woodruff return his second start since he was on the injured list for a prolonged period of time way back in April. He made his second start last night, and uh, at a, uh, you know, aside from the one home run, he was uh, really pretty, pretty good. Looks like he's getting back to his old ways. We know, even though maybe he hasn't been as dominant as he was a couple years ago, Corbin Burns fronts the staff and is an ace most people would feel comfortable with going into uh, a short series in the playoffs. Today, Freddie Peralta. Now, he's been dominant at times throughout his career, but he also has dealt with injuries. Hasn't been quite as good this season. What can we expect to see from Freddie Peralta on the hill for the Brewers today? The fastball Freddie nickname is certainly reigning true for him right now. Uh, He's got 13 strikeouts in two of his last four starts. He's been living and dying with the fastball. But the reason why it works so well is because, very similar to Brandon Woodruff, he locates it very well at the top of the zone. But he has even more ride than Brandon Woodruff, right? We talk about that high-spin, high-velocity fastball at the top of the zone. It looks so appetizing to hit, but you can never catch up to it. Freddie's got that, too. And the other thing about Freddie is he can vary his fastball. He's always got a little bit left in the tank for the end of the game. He can cruise at 94, 95. Then all of a sudden, if he really wants to get you out, he can crank it up to 98 out of nowhere. So it's all on the fastball. The slider plays so well off of that. Not many lefties in this order today, but there are a few switch hitters, so we may see a few more change-ups from Freddie, too, which has been a big pitch uh, as of that's really helped him develop. But I think the thing that Craig Council got to the bottom of and Chris Hook, the pitching coach of the Brewers, said, hey, man, you're a happy-go-lucky guy. Why aren't you smiling out there? You're a dominant pitcher. They really loosened him up after a bad first couple of months of the season, and he is pitching with a lot more freedom, a lot more energy, like he's supposed to. I mean, he's got the music blaring in the clubhouse right now. He's a very friendly human. He's just always a guy that is uh, got a smile on his face and loves every opportunity he gets to compete. And yet, oh, by the way, I throw a 98 and blow it by by you, and I don't expect you to ever touch me. So I think Freddie's got this edge that he can turn it on and off, and it's been uh, incredible to watch him develop here in the second half. That's the voice of Dom Catronio. You can catch his postgame on WTMJ after the Brewers game. If you're into that sort of thing, of course, hopefully White Sox fans will be listening to this postgame show today. But if you're a Brewers fan and you want your Brewers fix, Dom's got the postgame coverage for you on WTMJ. Dom, thanks a lot for joining me today. I appreciate it, man. Thank you, guys. Enjoy it. That is, again, Dom Catronio here on ESPN 1000 White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight tonight. Today, let's, uh, let's pause 10 seconds for station ID. Live from the Old National Bank State Street Studio, this is WMVP WSAG HD2, Chicago, a good karma brand's radio station. All right, not Connor McKnight tonight. How about Connor McKnight coming up next? We'll do that right here on White Sox Weekly. This is the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Carmen and Yurko, noon to two weekdays, ESPN Chicago. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller, in for Connor McKnight, who will be on the call with Len Casper today as the White Sox wrap up their three-game set with the Milwaukee Brewers at guaranteed right field ahead of their two-game set at Wrigley against the Cubs starting on Tuesday. Connor joins me now on White Sox Weekly. Again, um, someone once said famously on Chicago Sports Radio, I'm 
on that show, but it's not my show or something long like that. I feel like that's my role today as I bring in Connor McKnight, your regular host of White Sox Weekly, again, who will be on the call with Len. Connor, what's going on, man? Jeff, how you doing? One of the hardest working guys in show business, back and forth between the Bears and the White Sox. How do you keep it straight? This is baseball today. We're we're good on that, right? Yeah, you know what you do is you uh, you do a Bears post game show, a Bears post post game show while you watch the White Sox. You just you there know you go. I mean? That's what you do. That's what I did last night, and I loved it. Although I would have liked a better result from the White Sox. Um, I was commenting on how you know this is, I guess, when you're the White Sox and you're in the position you're in. This is kind of what this part of the season is for you maybe push jesse jesse shultons a little bit longer to see what he's capable of i mean i know it's not the result he wanted but in this modern day of baseball i guess you you never really know if your pitcher your starting pitcher can go through the order three times if you don't ever let him try so whatever you know what better opportunity for jesse shultons to see if he could actually handle that like very few in baseball actually can these days yeah, I agree with you, man. I think, you know, we talk about this a lot with hitters, right? Maybe you got a left-handed prospect coming up like Oscar Colas or something like that. Or maybe he's even got a, you know, a higher sheen on him than Colas did when he came up. And you don't put him in against lefties because, oh, it's tough to hit against lefties. But he needs to learn how to hit lefties. But if he doesn't hit lefties, <laughs> yes. how the heck are you going to know if he hits lefties? I think, uh, sorry, we're on the field right now and we've started up the, uh, the groundskeeping with the old leaf blower situation. So I'll That's walk right. down the line here just a little bit. Um, as long as it's not I, I the think, sprinklers soaking you. I, well, that's that's coming up. That's the ninth green at nine. <laughs> um, I, I think I think with that comes kind of two things too, right? Pedro Grifol has talked about it. He doesn't want to pass up big league wins. That's what they're here for, after all. And a lot of managers have said the same thing in the past, right? Just look to the other side of town a couple of years ago. That's that's what this job is. But at the same time, there are opportunities to push your guys just a little bit. Schultz is a 29-year-old rookie. He's looking to show everybody that he can stay in a ball game late. You know, we saw him overcook that 2-0 fastball to go 3-0 on the leadoff guy and then end up walking him in that sixth inning. And that's where you saw, okay, there it is. He's tired, hadn't done that all day. Gave him a couple more hitters. And to be quite honest with you, Jeff, the assignment he got, right, the nine-hitter, Tyrone Taylor, guy hasn't walked in 65 plate appearances, so you know he's swinging. He's also hitting 175 when he comes to the plate. So as far as challenges go, that's a good one, right? That's a mm-hmm. good ask in order to get that, you know, the starter, Schultons, um, maybe just one more guy. Didn't get the job done. Tyrone Taylor did. You tip your cap a little bit. But I, I think that is a spot where you can ask to push a little bit and see what happens with your guys. Dylan Cease will be back on the mound for the White Sox, and he had an interesting one the last time out, uh, right? He was score, uh, held the opponent scoreless but walked seven in the process. That's, a, that's something you don't see every day. What exactly, uh, you know, is going on with Dylan Cease from your perspective, uh, Connor? What can, uh, what can he do to maybe get himself closer to the pitcher he was last season? Yeah, so that was a crazy start. White Sox hadn't had a guy walk seven and not allow an earned run since 2001. That's a long time ago, right? That's high school. I, I think I think with Dylan, we are seeing a little bit of a, of a pre-2021 kind of thing where that fastball just isn't quite in the zone as much as you'd like it to be. He's a little up with it. And when, he's, when he's wearing back, you know, to – maybe put a little bit more on it, maybe finish something like that. It, it's not quite as commandable as it's been in the past. And 
I, I know it sounds a little bit weird, especially after the season Dylan had last year, to talk about anything other than the breaking stuff, which he throws not exclusively, obviously, but more than a lot of other starters, right? He's slider heavy, he's curveball heavy, and they're great pitches, so why shouldn't he be? But to have that heater kind of be a bit more reliable, I think has always been a big factor for him. Um, I think that's one thing I'll look for in the start today is kind of where is that fastball early on? Um, how much command of that does he have to both sides of the plate, uh, arm side and glove side? I, I think as we're watching, I mean, and I know you know the advanced metrics as much as anybody, Jeff, you know, you look at kind of the spin rates and the, the proficiency, the efficiency of that, of that breaking ball. It's not where it was last year, but it's still a very good slider. Mm-hmm. So how do you work around that? It's been kind of an exploration for Siege this year. Connor McKnight joining me here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor, who will be on the call with Len today as the White Sox wrap up their series against the Brewers at guaranteed rate. Field today, first pitch coming your way at 110. All right, Connor, so I see that Tim Anderson is not in the lineup today. I also saw earlier this morning that Jose Ramirez's suspension was reduced from three games to two, and we have not yet, though, seen anything in regards to Tim Anderson's appeal. What's up What's up with the, the whole Tim Anderson situation? I mean, he's been banged up a little bit, um, but the appeal is still ongoing. I guess I'm just... I'm one of those old-school baseball fans who is used to when a guy gets banged up, that's immediately when they drop their suspension because they know they're going to be out of the lineup. What's, uh, what's going on with T.A.? Any idea? Yeah, we'll see. We're actually we're, we're gathered here in the dugout waiting for Pedro Grafal and his, his media availability, so I think we'll elucidate the situation a little bit here in a few minutes. Um, I had hoped that we'd talk after Pedro spoke so I could help out that situation just a little bit. Um, you know, he, he's been hit twice in this series, as you mentioned. You know, took one off the forearm Saturday, uh, got hit in the back elbow last night, and it can't be comfortable. Um, it's been a struggle season for Tim Anderson. He has looked better since the All-Star break has ended, of course, but the slugging percentage, you know, still hasn't been there for him. I think this is a little bit of you've you've covered a hockey season. You don't have to after the end of the year of a hockey season, you know, a team gets to the Stanley Cup final or something like that, whether they win or lose. GM is, is on the horn or in a press conference afterward, and it's just like, so this guy after the season is having his leg amputated, he's getting it put back on, he'll be fine for the start of training camp. Uh, and this guy lost 57 teeth, uh, but don't worry, he's getting new ones, and he'll be fine for the start of training camp. I, I think we might have a little bit of a situation like that with the White Sox after the year where some of the issues that they've been you know, kind of dealing with come to a little bit more light here. And, and given that the, you know, that conversation becomes a lot different while you're playing a couple of baseball games here at the end of the season. That That's not maybe the right time to talk about it, and perhaps mm-hmm. afterward is speculating a little bit here, but you know, hopefully we find out a bit more from Pedro in a few minutes. Fair enough. Connor McKnight joining us here on White Sox Weekly. All right, so uh, you mentioned uh, Oscar Colas, you know, the opportunity for him to get some at-bats. What about Yoan Mankata last night? He finally... It's, uh gets his fourth homer of the season. Do you think that he is healthier than he's been in the last couple of months or so and where we can finally count on him maybe getting some more consistent at-bats? I, I hope so. I think he's such a big part of this lineup. When he's healthy, when he's confident, he brings something to the lineup that, that doesn't exist in a whole lot of other guys. I'm a huge fan of of kind of diversifying your skill sets up and down the lineup. 
um, in, in some different ways, and Moncada is that guy, to say nothing of the fact that he's a switch hitter and playing excellent defense over at third base. He, he also has fouled the ball off of himself a couple of times in the last few days. It has been very painful. Um, that's been evidenced. It, it always is with Yohan. You can see it. You know, he wears that a little bit on the field. Um, and I, I think, you know, now that he's got a couple of hits in each of his last few ball games, you'd, you'd love to see that go along with the good eye at the plate. Um, a little bit of power as, as it comes along. The issue, as I understand it, with, with the back that Yohan has is any next check swing can be problematic, right? Mm-hmm. And even if it is, you know, that next one is problematic, the next question is, how problematic was it, right? Did it just grab? Did it just push? Did it just, you know, do that little thing and then it'll settle down again? Like like Yasmani Grandal's knee the other night, right? He's, yep. he's had the knees worked on. He's a catcher in his 30s. He had a grab on him and was back in the lineup the next day. So it's, I, I, I have to guess that knowing that you're playing with a thing that could act up at any time and be fairly serious is also pretty anxiety-provoking. Just knowing that it can go on you has to, I don't know, suck, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, just, it's there in the back of your mind. Um, so as much as anything else, Yohan's got to play with that and understand that for the rest of this season, and hopefully he's able to do so. All right, Connor, I know uh, back in the day you, you used to uh, play a little bit of fantasy baseball. Let's throw on our GM caps here because uh, let's nerd out a little bit about the prospects that some of the uh, some of the prospects the White Sox acquired at the trade deadline, in particular a couple of pitchers who I am excited about, that maybe the silver lining in a lost season. Nick Nestrini and Jake Eater, a couple of arms who, you know, if everything goes right, they could be, you know, I'm not going to say fronting the rotation, but they could be critical parts of a five-man rotation in uh, in fairly short order for the White Sox in the next couple of years. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, you know, you, you look up and down, and I, you read some of the reports from guys who know prospects. You know, your, your Keith Laws, your Jim Callis's. Uh, not that there are multiples of either one of those guys. <laughs> They're great at what they do. Your Eric Longenhagen's. Um, and a lot are, are really surprised that the White Sox were able to pry Jake Eater away from the Marlins for Jake Berger. That, that's not a shot at anybody one way or the other. But and, and I miss Jake. I do. He's a great, great guy. But Eater is that kind of talent. He's that kind of arm that before the injury was top 100 sort of guy. I, I really hope we see him pitch a handful of times for the White Sox in the minor leagues this year just to, you know, see what's up. Even if it is out of the bullpen, still coming back a little bit. Um, Nestrini's a, a bit more of a mystery to me. I've, I've read less and seen less on him than I have on Eater, and that's due to the helium Eater has had. Uh, but Nestrini, they were very, very happy about the four-pitch mix that he's got and uh, to a degree being insistent that that four-pitch mix, despite some wildness that's baked into his profile, uh, is a four-pitch mix that can work and get guys out from both right and left-handed sides. Um, so I, I like that a lot, too. And I, I think also, you know, Kai Bush had a really rough debut in Birmingham. He's the pitcher that the White Sox got from the Angels, a 23-year-old from uh, at Double A. And the, the sense of it I get is that he can maybe not have the same uh, as high a ceiling as Eater or Nasrini, but he could move at the same pace, you know, just kind of have that pitch ability maybe mm-hmm. that Schultons has shown uh, and a guy who can handle multiple innings because he's able to work in some different ways through a lineup. So, you know, I think they've got three guys that, that could, as soon as the end of next year for in, in the latest kind of window, 
uh, make perhaps their debuts for the White Sox. What about Michael Kopech? Do you think he can unlock and maybe get back to, you know, there are a few, there, there are a couple starts here earlier in the season where I was just, it was like, all right, we finally unlocked the potential. Here it, yeah. here it comes. And then, you know, we got back to, the, you know, the issues laboring. And, you know, I know I've uh, had long conversations with Waddle and Sylvia on ESPN 1000 about how, how much more valuable it is to be a starting pitcher in the modern, you know, in this day and age of baseball. Like, I know everybody wants to say, well, maybe he's a closer. And, I, you know, I keep trying to explain that being a closer in baseball in today's game is not even close to a guy who could consistently give you five or six innings. And I say five or six knowing that most people – if, if you're old school, you think, what do you mean? I need six or seven minimum. No, in this day and age, if you can give me five really quality innings, that's okay. 150 for the season, that will get the job done. Do you think Kopech, I guess, is his long-term future still in the rotation? Couldn't agree more with the premise. Uh, you know, the idea of, of the value of 150 innings versus a closer, especially if you're talking about a ball club who, you know, is, is out of it at this point, right? And you've got an elite closer. Those are the kind of guys you trade, right? We saw that happen with the White Sox. And, you know, obviously Liam Hendricks had the Tommy John surgery, but they moved the elite back arms or back end arms that they did. I, I think it's still there for Kopech. I don't know that there's anybody I'm more interested in watching improve in the last two months here than Michael Kopech on this team, right? And that includes, you know, some fairly obvious names like Colas and, you know, and Gregory Santos, for instance, and even some of the young kids. Lane Ramsey's been really fun to watch. Um, but Kopech is that guy, right? And, and given the rotation that the White Sox have, you know, kind of control over here coming into next season, it's Kopech, it's Clevenger on the option, and it's Dylan Cease. And, you know, it's unclear as to whether that, that option is something the White Sox would want to pick up on Mike Clevenger. It's unclear whether any of the guys that they said goodbye to are going to you know, be potential candidates to re-sign. Um, it's a little bit unclear as to how much the White Sox are willing to push in in 24. I think you could make the argument that you know, if you want to do the poker thing, right, and you've got all your chips in front of you, I don't think that you have to go Matt Damon against Teddy KGB and push them all in for 24 to take this division. That said... I do think there'd be value in doing so, especially if you could set up some long-term pieces, you know, for 25 and 26 via free agency. I, I think knowing what you have in Michael Kopech to a better degree than you do now helps you make that decision, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's the difference between, you know, looking at both your cards in that Hold'em game as opposed to just looking at one and hoping that you've got the other ace. I, I, I think that's a big deal for the Sox here in the last two months, I don't know that there's a bigger issue uh, at stake here than than that particular than, than Michael Kopech. Maybe we have to take our cue and see if the Minnesota Twins will be eating their Oreos in the off season. Um, <laughs> all right, Connor, great stuff. I appreciate it, man. Uh, have a great broadcast with Len. We will be listening. Pay that man his money. Love see it, Jeff. Later. That is Connor McKnight. Of course, you know him. You hear him almost every week on White Sox Weekly um, and doing your White Sox pre- and post-game coverage most nights when he's not on the call with Len or DJ or occasionally on the television broadcast as well. So thanks to Connor McKnight for hopping on with me, Jeff Meller here on White Sox Weekly. Hey, are you looking for a unique way to start your game day? Treat your group to a pre-game patio party. You'll get two hours of an all-you-can-eat buffet along with unlimited beer, wine, and Coca-Cola products. For more information, Visit whitesocks.com slash patio 
or call or text 312-674-1000. I'm Jeff Meller. Again, this is White Sox Weekly. Up next, we will recap a wild, wacky, and somewhat tumultuous week for the White Sox. We'll do that. This is the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Find quality finishing contractors. Proud partner of the White Sox Radio Network. White Sox Weekly Saturdays on ESPN Chicago. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight, who will be on the call with Len Casper today. White Sox and Brewers conclude their three-game series at Guaranteed Rate Field. Pre-game coverage starts at 1230. I will be here for that. And then Connor and Len will be with you right around 1 o'clock ahead of the 110 first pitch of today's White Sox and Brewers game. All right, so I mentioned it's been a pretty wacky week since we lasted White Sox Weekly, which um, was last Saturday morning. And then, of course, things got a little wild when on Saturday nights against the Guardians, we saw a good old-fashioned base brawl. Kopech ready. The 2-2 pitch hit hard on the ground. Fair into the right field corner. Jimenez will score. Ramirez to second. Close play there. Safe. Head first slide. He ended up going through the legs of Tim. And we've got an argument here. And now the benches are going to clear. And they're going to... They're getting in a boxing match, and Tim and Jose Ramirez both got big-time shots in, and I think Ramirez cold-cocked Tim. Wow. That thing went from 0 to 10 in a hurry. It looked to me, I mean, they just put up their fists before the rest of the guys got out there, and Tim got a couple shots in, but then I think Ramirez got him on the chin. And everybody gathered around out there at second base. And, uh, yeah, you've probably seen it by now, obviously, Rose, Jose Ramirez catching Tim with a, a kind of a, a wild right hook haymaker that he threw that just happened to catch Tim Anderson in the chin. And, of course, a uh, couple of dust-ups then broke out from there as the, uh, as the field, as the dugouts emptied and, Eventually, before they were able to clear off everybody from the field, it was a wild one, to say the least, that resulted in Tim Anderson receiving a six-game suspension, which he is currently appealing. We're still awaiting word as to whether or not that has been reduced at all, as you heard from Connor McKnight's Patrick Grafal meeting the media here shortly. So once we get word that uh, about anything regarding the suspension, we will certainly relay that to you as soon as we have that information. We did find out earlier this morning that Jose Ramirez's suspension was reduced from three games to two. So I think there's certainly an opportunity here for TA's suspension to be reduced a game or two when we get word he is not in the lineup today. And again, I'm, I don't know if that is related to the fact that Jose Ramirez's suspension in his appeal was heard and reduced. So it is possible. Um, so maybe we'll find out here uh, before the pregame show starts at 1230. Rick Hahn spoke to the media on Monday, and he one of the first things he came out talking about was addressing the fight that took place between Ramirez and Anderson in Cleveland. 
After we spoke at the deadline, I actually didn't anticipate speaking again so soon, but obviously over the last 48 hours, there's been a few things that require uh, direct responses. First, let's talk about the uh, incident over the weekend in Cleveland. Obviously unfortunate. You never want to see anything like that uh, unfold on a baseball field. Uh, we were fortunate nobody was injured on either side and obviously uh, understand the commissioner's office role in doling out discipline and at this time we'll support the process and let it unfold before uh, seeing what what is meted out. I will say, you know, which coincidentally goes into the, the second topic of leadership and clubhouse culture. You did see a team on Saturday and Sunday rally around each other. You saw individual examples of leadership such as that from, from Andrew Vaughn in particular on the field, Michael Kopech playing peacemaker in that, in that melee, and a team that, that faced adversity as a unit and had, came away with two victories that was hopefully something to build upon. So that was Rick Hahn responding on Monday after the White Sox returned from Cleveland and they started their homestand against the Yankees where they uh, continued to carry over some of that success he was talking about there in that segment, taking a couple from the Yankees before dropping the last two to, to the Brewers here on Friday and Saturday night. All right, so Rick Hahn then was asked specifically about Tim Anderson's mental well-being and if he worries about him. I'm worried about all our mental well-being right now. Uh, look, that's a serious topic for anybody, any player who is dealing with being under the spotlight or dealing with underachievement or dealing with disappointment. That's a serious consideration for anyone. You've seen it league-wide. I think, I think this may, if I'm not mistaken, this was the first year that the league was permitting IL placements for mental health concerns, which shows the, the progress we've made as a league to understanding the importance of helping players through, through issues like that. So it's real for everyone out there. It's not easy when there's a third deck out there and you got everyone on Twitter or whatever the cesspool is called now, to, you know, giving you feedback instantaneously about your performance not an easy way to live your life so i'm glad that mental health is something that the league acknowledges that you know we're concerned about in that room and that you as a reporter acknowledges a legitimate concern for people so there you go rick Hahn saying that yeah i think it's important not just for ta but every player on the roster and certainly it's been a trying year for a lot of players on the white Sox team a lot of white Sox fans have felt like it's been a trying year and certainly I, I think Rick Hahn has felt, you know, it's been a, a rough year and not something that anybody really anticipated going the way it's gone for the White Sox. And it certainly wasn't helped by the ESPN report by Jesse Rogers, their Major League Baseball insider, who had some pointed quotes from Keenan Middleton on Sunday nights when it came down. And um, I will uh, reference uh, some of that here where Middleton said that um, he had been uh, talking about culture in the White Sox clubhouse since day one. And he had brought it up again about three or four weeks ago. Um, I'm sorry, that, that was actually Grafal responding to the Keenan Middleton report. Uh, so, again, Pedro Grafal saying, I've been talking about culture here since day one and brought it up again about three or four weeks ago. I feel like we're not even close to where we need to be but we're heading in the right direction. Of course, uh, Keenan Middleton had a, a lot of pointed accusations about what was going on 
in the White Sox clubhouse, and there was plenty that Rick Hahn wanted to address so that he wanted to clear the air. I think it's important that we give you the executive VP of White Sox operations, his what he told White Sox fans, what the situation was. He addressed all of Kenyon Middleton's accusations point by point, so I think it's important we bring those to you. We'll do that next, right here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Waddle and Sylvie, 2 to 6 weekdays, ESPN Chicago. Jeff Meller back here on White Sox Weekly. Hey, White Sox fans, bring your family to a White Sox game with a family pack presented by ExxonMobil. Your family will get one ticket, hot dog, drink, and chips to select games starting at $19 per ticket. Plus, with every purchase, you have a chance to win mobile gasoline for a year. For tickets, visit whitesox.com slash family. I'm Jeff Meller back here on White Sox Weekly as we get you set for White Sox and Brewers, the final game of a three-game set. White Sox have dropped the last two to the Brewers, including a tough one last night after leading 2-0 heading into the seventh. Jesse Schultons gave the Sox a quality start, pitched really well. Uh, It was tough to see the Brewers come back and get them for three in the seventh. Um, Bullpen was not able to save Jesse Schultons when he had some trouble on the base paths. And unfortunately, uh, a good effort, somewhat wasted for him. But hopefully, like I said, this is uh, this is an opportunity for the White Sox to kind of take advantage of where they're at in the season and and push some of their some of their players and kind of see what they're capable of. This is you know that's really what you have to do at this time of year is recognize you know, of course you're trying to win every time you go out there. But in addition to that, these are major league baseball games against you know quality opponents like the Brewers who are sitting atop the National League Central, where you can kind of push some of your players who haven't necessarily been in these positions before. And you can see, hey, all right, Jesse Schultons, you know what? He gave them a quality start, and maybe it was asking a little too much to see if he could go through the order a third time and get by and, and you know, give you that seventh inning. Um, but you live and learn, right? And maybe Jesse Schultons is stronger for it next time, or maybe Pedro Grafal knows, hey, Jesse Schultons is, like most pitchers in baseball these days, it's really tough to go through an order a third time, and maybe he's better served, you know, after you get through six. Maybe it's it's moving forward. You, you can recognize that with this game last night, hey, maybe we don't push it next time. All right, so I talked about uh, in last segment how Rick Hahn addressed the ESPN report by Jesse Rogers, um, which basically were just uh, quotes from Keenan Middleton who spoke to him about the White Sox clubhouse culture and how it wasn't the greatest. Rick Hahn, again, on Monday addressed basically all of Keenan Middleton's particular accusations, and he went through them basically point by point. This was how Rick Hahn initially addressed some of the Keenan Middleton accusations. Frankly, the first rule of the clubhouse is what goes on in the clubhouse is supposed to stay there. I'm a big believer in that tenant. Uh, however, when an individual player casts aspersions and puts his name on it, I feel a responsibility to respond. Uh, quite frankly, it's a little bit ironic that Keenan's the one saying this because my last conversation with him face-to-face was a week ago in this clubhouse where he sought me out to apologize for his unprofessional behavior. Unprofessional behavior that Pedro had called him out on and had an individual meeting with him about and Keenan wanted to apologize for. 
I told him at the time I figured that was a one-off and not something that anyone needed to get into greater detail of. Uh, and he shared that he understood there was a trade deadline coming up and that if we moved him, he would be very interested in returning to us as a free agent. So for a number of reasons, the sanctity of the clubhouse, his own personal experience here, as well as what he expressed to me as his future desires, I was surprised to see the report this morning. So that was the initial response from Rick Hahn in regards to some of the things that Keenan Middleton talked about. In particular, Rick Hahn addressed Keenan Middleton saying that there was a player who was sleeping in the bullpen. At no point over the course of this year has there been a reliever sleeping in the bullpen during a game. That's just wrong. We do have a player, a position player, who has fairly serious sleep issues. And as part of our sports performance program of trying to address that issue, he has been given permission and in fact encouraged to sleep in the clubhouse at times. Earlier in the season, a couple of our veteran players approached me complaining about such behavior. To their credit, they thought they were trying to help the environment. And when I explained to them the background of the player and why we were doing that, they relented and understood. Perhaps that's something that got lost in translation in Keenan's report, but at no point have we had a player sleeping in the bullpen. Middleton also said that there was a player on the White Sox roster who failed to show up for pitcher fielding practice, and Middleton asserted that there was no recourse, no punishment for that player. Young player missed infield practice, and there were no repercussions. We did have a young player miss infield practice, and for the next three days he was out there doing infield practice as extra work as a means of breaking through and holding him accountable for missing the practice and showing the importance of being there. So there was a, another point when Middleton said that the White Sox had a team meeting where only pitchers spoke and none of the players uh, who were part of the everyday lineup chimed in. This was Han's response to that. I think it's important to note that uh, for the past month, you've heard fairly directly from both Pedro and me and others that we realized we, have a, we had a bit of a cultural problem in this clubhouse, uh, that we didn't have a group that was all pulling the same direction, that was necessarily supporting each other or going about their business the way that we had wanted this team to go about it. It was something that we were upfront about for the last several weeks, something that we feel we've been in the process of addressing both at the trade deadline as well as since, and is something that we expect will continue to improve over the coming weeks. As I mentioned at the deadline, it was something that was a priority. In Cleveland, there was already a team meeting where many people spoke on the topic in the, in the club, or on the club to each other about who we want to be going forward and how we're going to go about being that on and off the field. So again, I understand why there's reports out there, but frankly, a lot of this stuff is old news in terms of uh, some of the potential issues in that clubhouse and something that we've already started the effort of addressing. That was Han in particular on the team culture and how the team is addressing it and improving. Um, he actually, when was uh, addressing the idea that no player spoke in the meeting, no everyday player, Han went on to say that Andrew Benintendi, Andrew Benintendi actually did speak in that meeting. So he, um, he, he based his, a different point of view as to what Middleton was saying versus um, what Han said actually did take place. And then finally, Rick Hahn 
said that um, it is it takes a little bit of time when a new manager takes over to instill that culture that they're talking about, that winning culture. Any individual's imprint on a culture takes time. There has to be a level of trust built. There has to be a level of articulating priorities, holding people accountable, and, and you know, practicing what you preach, and that takes some time. I also understand the notion of coming into a veteran club, of, but it's supposed to be a good club, and getting the lay of the land before on you know, day one dropping the hammer. Uh, you probably recall uh, you know, when Tony was, was named manager, one of the concerns was from the outside world was that you know, here was this young, fun club, and this guy was going to come in and drop the hammer with all these rules and stifle their personalities from the start. Tony took time on the way in, too, to assess everything and give GIs a chance to be who they were and give them a chance to breathe. And, you know, we were rewarded that year with a division championship under his, under his helm. Um, so I get needing to take time and assess things. And then, you know, obviously things didn't go this year the way we wanted them to. Um, so there has to be changes. If you missed it, we had Elvis Andrews on at the start of the show, and he talked about Pedro Grafal really settling in lately and feeling more comfortable as a manager and just, you know, the learning curve that it takes for a first-year manager to get their feet wet and really understand the nuances of the game. Elvis actually even joked about how he, you know, that's something he certainly has nothing, uh, no interest in really doing aside from potentially managing his son. But even he went so far as to say even if he becomes a manager one, one day for his son, he doesn't want to actually be the manager. He wants to be, you know, the guy who's, uh, who's there as a coach, rooting them on and having fun, but not necessarily being the disciplinarian or trying to make every decision that goes into being a manager. So, uh, he, But Elvis acknowledged that it seems like Pedro Falls having more fun these days, feel, feels more comfortable. And I think now that the White Sox have moved on and traded away quite a bit of veteran presence from the clubhouse. They can now go about trying to build that culture that Rickon referred to. Pedro Grafal can try and get the players who are now in the organization moving forward, who they expect to be here for the long term, and start to build a winning foundation that he has talked about, he being Pedro Grafal in this instance, and trying to get the young players all pulling on the same end of the rope and, again, um, knowing that a lot of the players now in the clubhouse will be here for the foreseeable future as opposed to some of the guys who, over the last couple months, probably weren't necessarily invested the way you would expect from some veteran players. A lot of players have been traded, were traded at the deadline. And as I was talking about with Connor at the top, the White Sox, the silver lining of the season is I think they did quite well in their returns for some of the trades they were able to make, some of the players who were set to become free agents. And so I think the White Sox did a nice job. I will actually let you hear from some of those key pieces. We talked about, Connor and I did, about Jake Eater, the key piece in the Jake Berger deal, and Nick Nestrini, the player, the pitcher who the White Sox got back in the deal with the Dodgers where they sent Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly out at the deadline. So I'll let you hear from a couple of the White Sox prospects who were highly touted at the trade deadline that are coming back when we come back next. Be here on Friday, August 25th, for our second postgame concert featuring Vanilla Ice headlining the I Love the 90s Tour presented by Whittingham Meats, also featuring Rob Bass and Tone Loke. Want an up-close on-field experience? Exclusive Field Pass ticket packages are on sale now with limited availability. To purchase tickets, visit whitesocks.com 
slash concert. Again, that's the uh, I Love the 90s tour coming to Guaranteed Rate Field. So make sure you check it out again. Tickets available. Visit whitesox.com slash concert. I'm Jeff Meller. We'll let you hear from the White Sox prospects. We'll do that next right here. This is the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Twitter at ESPN 1000. Back here on White Sox Weekly, I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight. Connor's on the call with Clint Lencasper today as the White Sox get set to take on the Brewers. 110 first pitch. Len and Connor will be up around 1 o'clock. I'll have your pregame coverage starting at 12.30 today as the White Sox take on the Brewers. Dylan Cease up against Freddie Peralta, so we got a pretty good pitching matchup for you today. Hey, Sox fans, 2024 ticket plans are available now. Be here for the biggest matchups and exciting new promotions throughout the season, including opening day on March 28th. Our ticket plans include great benefits such as Ticket exchange, program special events, savings on single games, and more. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash 2024. Will Jake Eater and or Nick Nestrini be a member of the White Sox in 2024? Well, probably not at the outset of the season. That would be a bit aggressive, although I, I will never rule it out completely, I guess, but Jake Eater and Nick Nestrini, two of the prized players who the White Sox landed in some of their deadline deals. Eater came from the Marlins for the in the Jake Berger deal. And Nick Nestrini came from the Dodgers in the Lance Lynn Joe Kelly trade. And it was uh, interesting to hear from them earlier this week. Jake Eater, in particular, talked about how he learned that he was traded. So I was actually heading out to go shag, and I just heard my name on the TV behind me so i turned around saw that and then got a bunch of calls you know from the marlins from from the white Sox, telling me what was going on so immediate reaction i was just kind of fired up to you know to join a new team and and then go uh you know just pick up where i left off there so now so the tv broke the news to you before you heard it from anyone in either the two teams huh? <clears throat> yeah yeah now, so Jake or Jake Eater telling you he learned about being traded while uh, shagging balls, and basically the TV behind him, he noticed he heard his name. Hey, what's up here? Um, Eater is one of the more highly touted left-handed pitchers in all of minor league baseball. I think I read a publication where he was ranked the ninth best left-handed pitcher in all of minor league baseball. And to be quite honest, you don't really see arms that are that good moved at the trade deadline these days it's just becoming harder and harder to obtain those valuable pitching arms especially when they've got six years of control because they still have you know the arbitration process and you know major league service time so you don't see those arms moved at the deadline that often and so for the white Sox to be able to land jake eater who is somebody who is highly thought of uh was i think quite a coup and eater has had Tommy John surgery. He's recovered from it now. He's back out there and pitching, and he's been pretty good this season. He talked about the recovery process from Tommy John surgery. Yeah, it's been, it was obviously a long process. You know, I had the Tommy John surgery and then the stress fracture in my foot in spring training. So when I, you know, you compound those two things, I think it was like 22 months before I was back in a, you know, a real game. But uh, yeah, it was, 
it was long, but it was it was good. I learned a lot about myself, learned a lot about you know my routines and stuff, and you know I just took it day by day, and and that kind of you know made it seem like it went by quick, even though it wasn't obviously. But but yeah, I mean it was just day by day, getting better each day, and and uh, yeah, I, I would say overall it was it was a a great learning experience. Jake Eater also talked about how um, he learned to prevent future arm issues as a pitcher when it first happened i you know wanted to find out why it happened so i you know i looked into you know the mechanical stuff and figured out what things went wrong in my mechanics to put you know more stress on my elbow for example and uh with doing that and you know like biomechanic stuff i i kind of i think got a better idea in my mind of, of what needs to like happen to my delivery to keep stress off my arm. So, you know, just doing that and, and working on that every day through that whole, you know, year or 18 month rehab process for Tommy John, it was, I think it was really beneficial for me. And I know the question is always like, is a guy fully back after they've had Tommy John surgery? Jake Eater was asked, do you feel like you're a hundred percent? Yeah, it's, I'd say it's getting close. Um, you know, this, at this point, I think I've made seven, I think seven starts in double A, um, which would in a normal spring training, you know, where I wasn't, where I didn't miss all that time in spring training because of my foot, I, I would have been probably a couple of starts into a regular season. So, you know, I feel like I'm kind of, I'm, I'm right about there, uh, making a, a couple of final adjustments to, you know, get, right back in, in the swing of things and, and feeling really good. So you hear him say, Jake Eater, that he's almost there. He feels like he's close. And he was asked what he does look like when everything is clicking. Command on the fastball. Um, everything, I, I basically pitch off my fastball. So when I'm commanding that, then, you know, I can throw breaking balls and change-ups off of that. And it all tunnels well. And, you know, hitters basically struggle with that because – when they have to respect the fastball and, you know, the other stuff tunnels the same, it looks the same, then, you know, it's not easy to hit. So good stuff from Jake Eater, the left-handed pitching prospect the White Sox obtained in the deal with the Marlins for Jake Berger. They also added Nick Nestrini, a highly thought of pitching prospect. He met the media earlier this week. He gave them a self-scouting report. When I'm, when I can throw my fastball on my changeup and kind of put it wherever I want that, that's, that's when I know the day is going to be special. And how is that? How's that pitch just continue to de- develop for you as, as you moved along? They, they've. It's more so like being able to command them in the zone and out of the zone. I've, they've always had pretty good movement pro- profiles, but it's really just been able to like execute them, especially in, like when I'm behind in the count two one, so I can get to a two two count, so I can be a little more aggressive and go for a punch out rather than going three one and having the pitch contact or make a different decision on which pitch I would throw. So it's really just been able to like put the ball where I want to put it and execute pitches. Nick Nistrini also talked about what he is currently working on developing. Really just understanding how my stuff plays, um, when to use my stuff, pitch selection. That's kind of where my development has been at the past, uh, this past season. It's just like understanding what pitches I can throw and what counts, what I can use to get early strikes, what I can use to put guys away with, um, understanding what certain hitters um, – struggle with and and abusing their 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 weaknesses and just doing stuff like that so a lot of advanced scouting uh 
before my start, talking with Danny before my start too, and talking with Q before the start. We all have a meeting before we go out there and just understanding what hitter, what their weaknesses are and if there's any overlying themes with the team. So just understanding that kind of stuff. So there you go, Nick Nestrini, the pitcher that the White Sox obtained in the deal with the Dodgers for Lance Lynn and Joe Kelly. Wouldn't be surprised if both Nick Nestrini and Jake Eater are very important pieces of the White Sox rotation in the next couple of years moving forward. Let's uh, pause 10 seconds and give stations a chance to identify themselves right here on White Sox Weekly. This is Chicago White Sox Baseball. From the ballpark to the old National Bank State Street Studio to you, WMVP, WSHE, HD2, Chicago. Back here on the ESP 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network, I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight. Connor will be on the call with Len Casper later today as the White Sox wrap up their series with the Brewers before they head over to Wrigley to take on the Cubs on Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. All right, up next, we had an opportunity earlier, I think it was a Thursday, where we actually had a chance to hear from White Sox closer Liam Hendricks. Now, we just let you hear from Jake Eater, who's recovering from Tommy John surgery. Liam Hendricks is in the very early stages of recovering from his. He met the media the other day, and always good to hear from Liam. We'll let you hear what he had to say about his recovery process and the tough season that it's been for the White Sox, what it's like inside that clubhouse. We'll hear about it all next from Liam Hendricks right here. Recap the game, Cap and Jay Hood, weekday mornings at 7. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESP 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Jeff Meller, in for Connor McKnight today. You can hear White Sox Weekly every week, usually on Saturdays for a couple of hours before the White Sox pregame coverage that day. Hey, Sox fans, join us for Miller Lite Baseball and Brews. Starting at only 19 bucks, this offer includes one ticket and two beers to new and expanded seating locations across the ballpark. Must be 21 and over with a valid ID. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash brews. All right, so I mentioned that we had a chance to hear from Liam Hendricks earlier in the week, and it was good to hear one of the best guys in baseball. It's been a nightmarish season, of course, for Liam Hendricks, although he is cancer-free at this moment, so that is, of course, the best of news. But we did learn that Liam Hendricks did have to undergo Tommy John surgery, and honestly, this was not that big of a surprise to Liam. You'll hear him talk about it here when he met the media the other day. Um, he was doing his best to try and get through it, but uh, he kind of had a feeling that uh, it was trending in that direction. This is Liam Hendricks earlier this week. Yeah, 2023 hasn't really been uh, the year we envisioned, but look, it is what it is. Um, when I went on the IAL, it was uh, very similar to last year, so I was hoping I could get through it. But uh, as we progressed on, it had just kind of torn off a little bit more. So we had the uh, the initial tear that I've had in the distal part for years. Uh, that has been that wasn't an issue. It was a new tear up the top from last year, and. Um, I do want to preface it the fact that we did not rush back. I threw more bullpens than probably anybody in this club had while I was coming back. So I want to make sure that that's, uh, that is well known, that it was never a rush back. It was a little bit of pain before I went on my rehab assignment, and it was something that I've dealt with before, and I felt like I could throw through it. And it just kept uh, kind of compounding upon each other, but I'm not exactly one to say I can't pitch. And went out there and took the balls for as long as I can, and unfortunately it uh, ended up this way. But... 
Now I'll be uh, 35 with a brand new elbow, so hopefully it gives me an extra couple years. What were you thinking when you got that news? What, what went through your mind right then and there? Uh, I mean, it is what it is. There's nothing I can do to change it. It's um, it, it will be nice to be able to brush my teeth with that pain for the first time in about a decade, so that'll be fun. Um, and obviously, I had to cut my hair because can't really put it up in a put it up in a ponytail anymore. But uh, yeah, it, it it sucks. I was hoping to just be able to deal with the brace and not necessarily go the full uh, the full recon. But uh, unfortunately, it wasn't in the cards with the amount of damage I had in the elbow. But went to Dr. Meister and he uh, he went in there and then cleaned some things up and, and left some things in there to make sure that the movement's going to be similar to what I had pre, pre-surgery and I mean this day and age it's um, it's it sucks but look, the, the rehab progress the progress they've done with the rehab uh, timelines and everything like that it's uh, the likelihood of coming back from it is, is pretty good and now I know that I'm not one that's never going to put the work in so now it's uh, just a matter of me going out there and making sure I do things the right way and, and also making sure I don't push it too much but also push it a little bit you're 30, going to be 35. Yeah, I'm 34 you, currently. But at that time, you could come back. Mm-hmm. Does it go through your mind that no. your future? No. It's, no. There's no doubt in my mind that I'll be back. Same thing as when everything happened in January. It's um, There's no doubt that I will be back. I mean, at this point, I've been pitching with a, an, uh, <laughs> a uh, less than stellar elbow for, what, 15 years? So having a new one out there, I mean, hopefully it can... Uh, Add an extra couple years in the back end. I've always said I wanted to pitch. I've always said I've wanted to pitch on 40, and this means uh, after this one, I should have, I should be able to hopefully go a little bit longer than that. Are you hoping it's uh, with the White Sox? You know, that, I mean, we don't know what the timeline is going to be. Yeah, like. I mean, it, that's that, the ball's in their court. Obviously, they have an option for the end of the year. Um, I have put it in there. Is that I would like to stay. I think I have unfinished business here, and I feel like I can. So that's why I wanted to rehab here. I actually uh, petitioned to rehab with the team. Uh, the only trip I won't be going on is Colorado just due to my altitude sickness. So, um, yeah, I'll be traveling with them. I'll be doing everything with them just because I feel like I have a little bit of value off the field and hopefully I can bring something as a as far as, like, mentoring some of these younger, especially bullpen guys coming up with uh, with both Brian and myself out there. And hopefully we can uh, we can put in that positive, positive views and that uh, I can bring something to the field rather than, what I was actually able to do on the field this year. In the same vein, a lot of, uh, well, at least three or four guys I talked to said that your leadership was was really missed this year as a part of what's going on here. Uh, what were your reflections on what's going on over the last week or ten days, or even all year, as far as uh, you know the metamorphosis of all this change? Yeah, I mean, I think anybody in who's ever come through a clubhouse knows that. Look, it is a very player-driven thing. Uh, if there's any sort of disagreements with anything else it needs to be handled by the players um and yeah I, I unfortunately i wasn't able to be here for the first two months of the season and there were some things that were a little bit different this year than the last previous couple of years but look um it's been very hard for me to try and act as that kind of leadership role and trying to take charge with things because i haven't been on the field i don't feel like i have earned that credit this year by not going out there and let's be honest athletes tend to have some egos on them um so you got 26 guys with somewhat inflated egos myself included and it, it you're always going to butt heads i mean i have um i have different philosophical views on the way to a clubhouse should be than other guys i like to maintain positivity and and harping on the the good things rather than the negative things and some people the other way but either way no no way is wrong no way is right it, it just matters that you mesh together and we had uh we had some butting of heads that no one was willing to back down, no one was willing to concede, no one was willing to do that. So I think it, that that there it really causes a rift. But now hopefully we can take the egos aside, we can get to 
get to a point where we're now we're pushing for next year and we can get the right frame of mind, the right kind of views on the way everything should be run. And everybody's going to concede at some point. Everyone's going to make a compromise. But at the end of the day, I think we've got the right people in this clubhouse. This is a position player group specifically that is extremely talented on paper. And they can and will live up to their, their standards that they should be able to until we go back to a playoff playoff team. When, when, you're, when were your what were your last couple of bullpens like and when did you realize that this was the step that you had to take yeah I've been pitching with pain for like trying to get through it and it was look if I can throw 92 to 94 with no pain I can do it if I can throw 96 to 98 with pain I'll be able to bear it but unfortunately my last live BP was 92 with pain and that's just uh, not quite not quite the recipe we needed so actually um well, I was studying a live BP in Minnesota, and I mean, I was I was well aware of what the uh, the alternatives was at that point. Um, it was pretty likely that that's where we're headed, but I wanted to give it every single chance I had to get back on the field and push it to make sure that I could. Uh, so I got uh, I got Ethan Cass to record the last pitch I threw, just in case it was the last pitch I threw on a White Sox uniform. <laughs> and I made, I did I also punched out TA with it. So there's that. Great but. Um, Look, I gave it everything I had. Like, I pushed it. I knew I could have very easily shut it down once I got the PRP injection and started throwing again. I realized that, look, it it could be this. It most likely is this. But there is a slight chance that it is a little scar tissue that needs to break off. There's a little chance that there's just something that needs to move around. There's a little chance that there's some inflammation that if I, the more I throw, the more I push, it, the more I try and get through this, I can get through this. And that was that little, little sliver of hope that I had the entire time. But... When I went from uh, two to five in New York to maxing at 92 uh, in Minnesota, I realized that the velocity was trending in the wrong direction. And at that point, it's like there was nothing I could do to prevent what was going on. And I mean, even Dr. Meister said that, like he uh, he looked at my elbow and goes, "Yeah, it's uh, because this is I'm amazed you were able to throw last year coming back from what I did because it was the same injury." Um, and that was another thing that I held out hope for because of the way I came back last year. Yeah, well, it didn't feel great, but I was able to compete and I was able to get it done. And this year just was, uh, I think, just a little bit too much damage in there. A little bit, probably a little bit more of the uh, surrounding muscles that weren't quite as developed this year just due to being broken down through treatments and stuff like that. But there was no way I wasn't going to come back at some point this year after everything I went through at the start of the year. Well, yeah, this group has three... Uh Go ahead, sure. You're in a unique situation because you are somebody who just came back from cancer. Did an oncologist have to be consulted during this process with the Tommy John? Uh, yeah, I keep I keep up with my uh, my oncologist at all times. Whether it would just be through her checking in on how I'm doing, whether it's me checking on how she's doing. Uh, but yeah, it was a it was a thing like, hey, can I go under? Can I be have surgery? Can I, will I heal from the wounds and all this sort of stuff? There was. There's been a number of times where I've reached out just on little things like, oh, I, even when I got the PRP injection, the cortisone injection, is this okay with my current treatment plans? And yeah, everything everything always came back with, yes, you're fine, you're, you're far enough removed from this that you don't have to worry about it. I mean, she even said that theoretically you could have gone through this while going through treatments. It wouldn't have been ideal, but you could have. This group had three managers in four years. Is that a messaging problem for both players and managers? Uh, to be able to kind of mesh together and really understand each other, you know, to get the job done? I mean, I don't know what, um, I wasn't here with Rick, and obviously Tony was more of, uh, I think, health reasons more than anything, so I don't think classifying it as three different managers in four years is uh, necessarily the right way to say it, but 
yeah, we're, we're on our third manager. Pedro's come in. He's his first-year manager. And, yeah, I think he, he spent some time trying to get the lay of the land and, and trying to figure out what goes on in this clubhouse. But, I mean, I was with him in Kansas City. Enough guys have been around, and he's been in enough clubhouses with some one of probably the better leaders that I've ever been around, Salvador Perez. And, um, yeah, I think this is a this is a learning experience. And, and I think that there's going to be a lot that can be learned from not only him but the way he interacts with players, the way we interact with him, and the way we can move forward as an organization. I think it's... Um, Every year, this you got to take those, you take the hard years like this year as a uh, as a learning experience and way to move forward and way to not repeat things. And I think he's done a fantastic job in the communication, at least with me. Like my own personal experiences with him have been fantastic. Like we've we've spoken about things, anything that needs to be brought up, it's been a civil conversation. hasn't uh, hasn't progressed to anything, any sorts of levels of uh, antagonistic or anything like that. So we uh, we have that mutual respect for each other, I think, and that's uh, that's one of the big things that going around. You need to give each other respect. And at the end of the day, he's the manager. He's going to make the decisions. Whether I agree with him or not, he's going to make the decisions. Liam, you push yourself a lot. Do you set aside next season rehab, or do you keep the goal in your mind to, to want to pitch, you know, even if it's September next season? No, my goal is to pitch next year, just purely based on the fact that, look, I know that the, the regular timelines are anywhere from 12 to 15 months getting back now. Um, the lower end of that, if I push it, I will be around. So 13 months will be around September 2nd, I think. And look, I, my goal is to be able to pitch next year and then be able to have a relatively normal offseason. I want to be able to get back out there, pitch, and, and go back into my normal routine a little bit more of, uh, of just the way I do a rehab program or the way I do my offseason throwing programs and stuff like that. I think that's, that's going to be an important uh, facet for me. And depending on what happens contract-wise, who knows if I'm going to need that little showcase at the end of the season to be able to get a job. And it is what it is, but um, we'll take that as it comes. And that's all. That's all. That's all I got. But I, the plan is to pitch, and we'll see how it goes because anything can happen. It's a pretty wide range, especially with one side of it being back in August, one side of it being back, not being back at all. So we'll uh, we'll see how it goes. And now it's just a matter of trying to get mobility back into this thing, which. I got it unlocked yesterday. Oh, a couple of days ago. So I'm, I'm unlocked from 90, which is good. Liam, I don't know if this was asked you, but I mean, how would you kind of describe from December on this year for you? What you, what you and Christian just what you've gone through during the course of this year? Uh, not ideal. Um, look, it, it <laughs> it's not the way we drew it up. Um, but look, there's always a silver lining. And then this year, uh, November 23rd, Chris and I will hit our 10-year wedding anniversary. So we're going to finish off well. <laughs> it may not have started. It may not have the middle. That's good. But uh, at the end of the day, it, there's nothing I can do to change anything that happened. There's nothing that I have done myself that has really caused anything that I've gone through this year. Um, the elbow maybe a little bit just with uh, the way I pitch and the way I want to pitch and the way I want to be on the mound at, every, at any time. But look, um, it is what it is. There's nothing I can do to change it. And if you don't have a positive attitude with certain things, it's just going to derail derail all progress and everything like that. When you talk about you know some butting of the heads happens on every team, is the ultimate goal whatever happens in the clubhouse take it out on the other team? You know, so to speak, in a, in a baseball sense, like take that energy, that anger, whatever it is, and, and put it to competitive use. Uh, yes and no, because at some point there's certain players you need to judge who what their personalities are. Some people play very well in rage, like myself. Some people play very well in being very stoic and kind of relaxing the man, more like Dylan. Um, it's, yeah, everyone has their own ways of dealing with things, whether it be the energy levels, whether it be taking it out on frustrations off the field or at home or anything like that. Everybody has their own 
kind of devices and ways to do it. But um, yeah, and look, butting of the heads is great. I love, like, I think arguments are fantastic for any sort of improvement in anything. If everybody agrees with the thing, nobody's going to go anywhere. Uh, yeah, as was it, the uh, the quote was, was, no one's ever changed the world by going along with what everyone else is doing. And yeah, you've got to butt heads. You've got to change programs. If something doesn't work or something, you just feel like you're going around in circles, something has to change. But look, um, it, it is what it is. It's uh, yeah, this clubhouse is. Um, we've had some great times this year. We've had some not so great times this year, and that's how every single clubhouse goes. It's unfortunate that it got out. Uh, that I mean, I guarantee you could talk to almost every clubhouse, and there's there's times where people go through it and they just dislike other people on the team, or there's certain things going on. It's uh, it's part and parcel of the game when we were with each other for a hundred. 180 games during the 180 days during the season and uh, that doesn't even take spring training into account so when you get enough guys here with enough large egos and enough guys that uh, are tired and over it and travel and all this sort of stuff it, it wears on the it wears on you a little bit so this is why baseball's a marathon it's not a uh, it's not a sprint and when you look at it now the teams that uh, started off out of the gates really really well uh, they're starting to, starting to hit some roadblocks now what does the white Sox organization mean to you during this time uh, the White Sox have been fantastic. Obviously, there was a lot of deferring to each other um, while going through the uh, the uh, cancer diagnosis and treatments and stuff like that. And now with uh, everything to do with the elbow, it's um, look they they are well aware of my personality and the way I do it. And I was never going to half-ass anything. And whether that meant I was going to break, that meant I was going to break. That's the way I've played my entire career, and that's the way I, uh, I that's the way I got here. And um, look, I as, as I said, I specifically called. Rick and Jerry and the training staff and everything like that, making sure one, I wasn't going to be a burden, and two, that I could be here because I feel like I I can bring something to the field. I can bring something to the, the uh, I bring something of value to the team while not playing. And I think obviously me not being able to provide that value on the field this year, I want to make sure I can bring anything I can. And if that's a clubhouse guy, if that's a mentor, if that's anything, I want to be able to try and help us. Uh, obviously, most likely move forward for next year, but that's that's the goal now. Love rooting for that guy, Liam Hendricks, one of the best people in baseball. Hopefully uh, he can have a speedy recovery and actually get back on the mound next season like he is shooting for. That would be great to see after all he's gone through this season. It's been just uh, nightmarish for him, and uh, hopefully he's on the mend and up to better, uh, bigger and better things moving forward. Hey, Join us at the ballpark on Saturday, August 26th, as the White Sox take on the Oakland A's at 610. First 15,000 fans, 21 and older, will receive a Dylan Cease bobblehead presented by Benny's Beverage Depot. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash promos. All right, one more segment to go as we're getting you set for White Sox and Brewers on White Sox Weekly today. I'm Jeff Meller in for Connor McKnight. Connor's on the call with Len Casper. We'll wrap things up here on White Sox Weekly on the ESP 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. It's simple. The ESPN Chicago app. Wrapping things up here on White Sox Weekly, I'm Jeff Meller. This is the ESP 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. We've got your White Sox pregame coverage coming up at 12.30 as the White Sox get set to wrap up their series against the Brewers at Guaranteed Rate Field. Pre-game starts at 12.30. First pitch around 1.10. Len and Connor will be on the call today. They'll be up right around 1 o'clock today. want to say thanks to our executive producer of White Sox Baseball, Brendan Riley. want to say thanks to Jake Cantu as well for spinning the dials here on White Sox Weekly. Uh, we had 
Elvis Andrews on earlier. If you missed it, check out the pod. He was he was excellent. We'll probably play you a soundbite from him in the pregame show if you did miss it. But if you want the entirety, uh, check it out on the ESPN Chicago app. It is there for you. Also chatted with Connor McKnight's and... Uh, we had a Brewers hit for you as well. Got you up to speed on the latest regarding the Brewers as the Sox get set to take them on again at Guaranteed Rate Field today. If you missed it, Guardians second baseman, or I'm sorry, third baseman. He played second early in his career. Um, Jose Ramirez, his suspension was reduced for his altercation with Tim Anderson from three games to two earlier this morning. We are still waiting word if Tim Anderson's suspension was reduced. He is not in the lineup for the White Sox today. I will have the entire lineup for you coming up in the pregame show. Tampa Bay Rays pitcher Shane McClanahan is out for the season with a left arm injury. They kind of knew it was trending in that direction, but that's a huge blow for them and their playoff hopes because even though the Rays are, I think, likely to still make the playoffs, um, they have been decimated throughout their pitching rotation. So Shane McClanahan, who had been their best starter all year uh, is done for the season, and that is uh, definitely going to hurt the Rays moving forward. If you uh, missed this, uh, Jose Batista signed a deal with the Blue Jays earlier this week to go ahead and have his uh, jersey honored with the team. That was earlier this week. Um, if you, I missed it again. I mentioned Elvis Andrews. He mentioned that the fight with Tim Anderson and Jose Ramirez only comes in second because he, of course, was on the field at Arlington when Ruggie Odor slugged Joey Bats in the face. And uh, Andrew said that that was by far and away the best base brawl that he has ever been a part of. Not that he was condoning violence by any means, just that uh, that one usurped the T.A. Jose Ramirez bout that we saw last Saturday. All right, that's going to wrap it up here on White Sox Weekly, but don't go anywhere. As I said, we will have the White Sox pregame show coming up at 1230. That's about five short minutes from now with Connor McKnight and Len Casper on your call. You'll get the manager's show with Pedro Grafal coming your way. That's coming up in about, it's called 10 minutes from now. So you'll hear from the White Sox skipper, as you always do on our White Sox pregame coverage. And we will let you hear from Elvis Andrews if you missed that interview as well. So we'll let you hear what he thought about a couple milestones, one that he's already achieved and one that's on the way here very shortly. So stick around. White Sox pregame coverage is coming up next. I'm Jeff Meller. I'll be back for that. And again, Connor McKnight will be on the call with Len Casper. White Sox pregame coming up next on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network.